Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football during this coronavirus quarantine. Hopefully, everyone is staying safe, staying home, being healthy out there. I'm going to try to bring you a show each and every week to let you know, hey, we're still here. You want to get your routine going and talk about some USC football, even though there's not a lot going on. We want to still be able to do that with all of you. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com is the email address, or if you'd rather call or text us, the number is 424-254-9141. We got some questions to get to, some different topics. We have uh, Keely Yor on the line, does a great job covering the Trojans here at uscfootball.com. How you doing, Keely? Hello, hello. Doing well. The weeks are starting to blur together a little bit, but still hanging in there. Doing well. They do kind of blur together. You're just not like, how long has it been since this is, the, you know, since we've been in the same room and done shows? It's been a while. It's like four weeks now. It's been about a month, I guess. Since we've I think been. it's five. This is week five for me. Week five since you've come down. Yeah, because yeah. normally Keely would come down and be in the studio with us. And obviously that hasn't been happening. I think at the very beginning, I was like, oh, we could probably still do that, right? And, and Keely's like, uh, I don't think we could do that. And it was sort of like, oh, well, yeah, you can't do any of this stuff anymore. It's like, try to figure it out as we go. Yeah, I remember the last podcast we had in studio, I was kind of venting to you. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And you're like, it's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> and then like two days later, we were on lockdown. So, yeah, you're like, you know, yeah. foresight is always a, a tricky thing. It is. Uh, we, you know, none of us have been through a global pandemic before, so we don't really know. Uh, and Dan Weber's on the line, too. Uh, Dan's normally not in the uh, the studio with us. We usually get him on Skype. Mm. So that's not changing. But how are you doing, Dan? Doing good, but I uh, I kind of wish I would have talked to Keely because uh, I probably would have gotten that last haircut that I should have gotten before uh, we got all locked down. Now I think I'm I'm like two haircuts behind. So uh, you keep thinking down the road, how long is this going to go? But uh, I, I will say this: having talked to most of the new USC uh, coaches, I'm really impressed by how much concern they have for for keeping the players uh, uh, healthy and safe. And they, they are really, really drilling it into those guys' head that they really want, they want to keep them, uh, keep them healthy, keep them doing all the right things. But uh, first and foremost, uh, they just don't want any of them to get sick and take any chances. And, uh, and none of the coaches, you know, are coming in and nobody's, you know, getting together. They're all really, uh, sounds like they're being, awfully conscientious about uh, you know the social distancing and uh, and the quarantining and and really really talking to their players about doing the same thing a very serious effort yeah we're going to talk about the uh the staff because we're seeing these coordinated efforts from uh the usc football staff something we haven't really seen before we'll talk about that dan has a great story up uh he's been doing interviews with all the new assistant coaches and todd orlando is the latest one so we'll We'll get in about that. There's some some news in college football too about. Uh, we'll talk about you know, some of the group of five schools are already starting to feel the pinch of this uh, shutdown, and so we we could see some some bad things happening in, in college athletics. So we'll see. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit. 
I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Trader Joe's, before anything. And, uh, you know, we know all of the healthcare workers out there, people are performing those essential needs where you're out there being exposed. We appreciate the work that all of you are doing. And uh, you, you don't you don't think about grocery store workers all the time, but they're out there doing it as well. I know there's been a lot of precautions taken to try to keep everyone safe, shoppers and workers. And we just appreciate Trader Joe's. They've been uh, they've been a great company when this wasn't going on. And you're seeing the kind of true form of the people, you know, the way they're trying to run their business right now during this unprecedented time. So appreciate Trader Joe's. I love going in there. Um, it's, you know, I, they've made my experience in there feel as close to normal as you could, you know, and it's, that's not easy to do at these times. So if you got your favorite things you want to go buy at Trader Joe's, uh, make sure you go do that now, but that, you know, supporting, supporting them, we appreciate them supporting us all these years. Um, yeah, Keely, you're not going out much, right? Are you, cause you know, no, I, I'm pretty much in, I haven't gone to the grocery store in a while. I will say though, my roommate did go to Trader Joe's on Saturday morning. She came back singing the praises of Trader Joe's organization and how serious they're taking everything. They're even washing down the cart. So I was like, when she was raving about it, I was like, thank you. I know what I'm going to talk about on Tuesday. So, but <laughs> she was very, very appreciative of how well Trader Joe's is handling this whole situation. Yeah, they uh, they were willing to uh, put the uh, hand sanitizer on my uh, as I came in and as I left. And I said, no, thank I had gloves on. So I had the uh, <laughs> uh, surgical gloves or whatever you call them. So, but uh, uh, they'd have washed those down if I, if I would have wanted them to. I will say this. There are two uh, grocery stores or comparable stores in, in our one, one of our shopping air, uh, malls in uh, Tustin. And you go by there, you go to park, and Trader Joe's has... A line that I would say conservatively would have been like 150 feet long around the corner. And the other one next to Trader Joe's, there's no line at all. So people are willing to stand in line. And now they keep it moving, you know, really well and all that. But uh, people are really are willing to, you know, stand in line for the, the Trader Joe's experience. And it could not be more, uh, you know, uh, visible uh, if you go by and and watch everybody and they seem to be in, in you know, good spirits but people really uh want to get into get into trader joe's so they're doing a lot of things right they are and uh just everyone out there just be safe um it's i got i've picked up some gloves got my masks i think i got like four different masks now so we got you know a variety of things to choose from when you go out but keely now i feel bad my friends are telling me this too i'm out there quite a bit uh, I'm probably out, I guess maybe more than I should be like coming to the office. It's like a mile from my house. So I can take a walk, you know, you get some exercise and I can come in to the studio where I'm by myself, but I'm still doing like volunteer work. I'm still delivering, you know, like meals on wheels. So you got to get out to do that. I've been trying to take food to different, you know, like hospitals and things, but I don't know if it's just like an excuse to, to get out there more, but it's, <laughs> um, but you know, you try, you just say, if you wear your mask, you wear your gloves. But you know, Keely, you you're like hardly ever leaving the house, right? Like it's it's, I guess it's just different ways to to go about it. But I, yeah, I don't I don't want to endanger anyone, but you're trying to do do good, so there's like this balance. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to figure it out sometimes. Yeah, I mean, now I'm going on walks every night, 
and that's helping the stir craziness. But I'm definitely trying not to go where people are. I think this is also a product of you being an extrovert, Ryan. I think you need some type of outlet or else you go like insane. (laughs) But you're doing a good thing. You're, You're helping people. You're not just like going to the beach and spreading your germs. So at least you're doing a good cause when you're out. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. But. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of uh, going along with the people who say you're kind of probably just uh, by you know passing somebody or 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 you know that's not how it's going to be trans. I mean, you're hearing that they, you kind of need they think maybe ten minutes of fairly you know either you know close contact talking to somebody. Um, you know, that kind of thing, or being on an airplane. I mean, you know, obviously, you don't want to probably be on an airplane, uh, uh, you know, right now. But uh, but I think you need pretty, you know, I just don't think people, many people are going to catch it from, uh, you know, a doorknob or, uh, you know, a shelf or something, unless you purposely put your, you know, hands to your face and, and your, your mouth or whatever, and you just don't have the ability to do that. But I, I would think just, uh, you know, incidental contact is mostly just that. It, it, you know, it e- either has to come from, you know, somebody in, you know, in your apartment building or somebody in, you know, in some, you know, meeting that you're, you're having that you probably shouldn't be having. But uh, I just think, uh, you know, if you're, if you're being, you know, careful and you're not spending a lot of time uh, in close uh, contact, you know, a number of people, you're probably going to be all right. Yeah, we hope so. But uh, yeah, I do. You feel guilty sometimes like, oh, I'm, I'm out doing this or I'm out doing that. But I try. I've been gone for a run for a while because then people are saying if you're running and you don't have a mask on, I don't really want to run with a mask on. And then do you breathe harder? And that, I, I don't know. So you're just trying to be whatever. We're, we're all trying to do the right thing. I, it's it's. It's no one's been through this before, so we're just trying to figure it out as we go. So just try to stay safe. If you can stay home, stay home. Uh, if you're helping people, that's great. Help people, but you know, stay home whenever you can. Be more like Keely than like me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think uh, that's the general rule, Ryan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. Probably, probably the general rule. Um, so we know there's going to be uh, there's going to be economic fallout for the shutdown, no matter how long it. I mean, if it's ended tomorrow, there's still going to be some kind of impact and there was a tweet from uh justin williams uh he's breaking the university of cincinnati has discontinued men's soccer effective immediately quotes from the athletic uh, athletic director john cunningham in the thread below and he went on about that and there's several national people were started to kind of respond to it um yahoo also had a report where um they're saying that the so Pete Thamel tweeted this Yahoo Sports obtained a report from a group of five commissioners uh, to the NCAA president Mark Emmert asking for quote temporary relief from several regulatory NCAA requirements for a period of up to four years. Among them are sports sponsorship minimums, which hints at uh, more sports cuts. So uh, that was just about an hour ago as we're taping this. Uh, we're starting to see some kind of fallout here, Dan, you, you're familiar with Cincinnati. That's where Mike bone came from. Yeah. I, I'm surprised, uh, uh, that soccer would be the one to go. Uh, Cincinnati's been a big soccer, uh, you know, town as much as it, it's a great high school football town. Uh, I know when I was SID at Xavier, you know, we started soccer early and, uh, and had really, uh, a good, good early success. I know the, uh, 
the MLS team in Cincinnati plays at Nippert Stadium at the University of Cincinnati, and they average about uh, 25,000. Uh, you know, and they have they cover that team, you know, like they cover the Reds and the Bengals, uh, you know, in Cincinnati. So that surprises me a little bit that, that the soccer team would be uh, – be the you know the first one to to go at the University of Cincinnati, but uh, yeah, I can see. I mean, you know, in the Pac-12, we complain, you know, that you only get thirty-two million dollars for your you know TV contract, and it's the worst in the in the uh, Power Five uh, conferences. But uh, uh, at a place like you know the University of Cincinnati, those group of five schools, if they get you know two million dollars a year uh, from TV, they're lucky. Uh, so. I mean, those schools have no margin whatsoever, uh, uh, like you, you would in the Pac-12, uh, even with you know not getting as much as the Big Ten and the and the SEC. Uh, those schools, like a University of Cincinnati, which would be probably the number one. If I had to evaluate all the Group of Five, I would say University of Cincinnati has the best athletic program. Would be the closest and better than some of the Power Five schools. But uh, for them to be the first one to do that, uh, that says something. I, I think there will be others following. Uh, I, you wonder if they're going to ask, can there be some leeway with, with um, uh, say, the federal government and Title IX? Uh, you know, are they going to always have to balance out the number of, you know, scholarship athletes in football with all the other, you know, say, all the women's programs that, you know, that do not produce any revenue at all. Uh, I would think, I think there are going to be a lot of things that people are going to ask about going forward. Or, you know, is there a way to remove football and put it in a separate category, let's say, uh, you know, for, for Title IX uh, considerations and, and maybe organize football in a different way so that you don't always have to have as many, uh, you know, exactly. you got to have you know, almost four teams, four sports uh for women to equal uh one uh football team and i think that's going to be tough to do going forward there's also uh the uh, president uh linda livingstone uh from baylor she put out a an announcement earlier today they're going to have 80 million dollars in projected uh budget cuts coming this afternoon that'll hit all aspects of the university academics administration and athletics uh, that's a power five school. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing more and more of this stuff. Uh, I, I don't know, Keely, what do you think about it? It seems like we're getting, we're, you know, maybe it's five weeks in, but now that you're starting to see the hits coming uh, in the athletic departments. Yeah. I mean, this is also the problem with I, the NCAA trying to be like with the spring seniors, it was kind of their way of becoming the good guy because now it's up to these universities who are taking major financial hits to tell those seniors, Hey, we can't afford this. So I think this is just the start of it. But I mean, the interesting thing is what Dan was mentioning about football and, and maybe putting it in its own category. I'm just curious what happens to football with this pandemic in the sense of uh, Pete Thamel wrote about it too. When things have changed in college football, it's because of major outside events. And so what are the changes we're going to see from this? Do you see football regulated by a different body? I know we talked about it last week, but just like, I'm just curious of the changes that will happen uh, just trying to survive for, for athletic departments to try and survive uh, through this, because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen when 
the we haven't touched on it yet, but it still looks like college football is in the balance right now. I don't know what's going to happen with that. And and when you take a big financial hit like that, how do these athletic departments recover? I'm just not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think football, they football will do whatever it takes for football to survive. And the colleges in the same way, I think they'll move the, move the seasons. They'll adjust, you know, ev- whatever they have to do. I mean, you almost can't, have college sports uh, as we know them without college football. I mean, now you don't have to spend all the money that, you know, people have been spending and you do not, for example, have to pay, you know, head coaches, you know, $5 million a year. I mean, it's just, that's ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, uh, because the money was available and the agents were so good at negotiating and playing one, you know, school against the other, or in USC's case, just asking for it and getting it. Uh, uh, there's no excuse for any of the, you know, top college coaches to be, you know, paid what they're, they're being paid. Uh, but you know, that's going to change probably. I think, uh, I would, I would be surprised if any coach doesn't, you know, take a quote unquote voluntary cut, uh, going, uh, between now and the, and the end of the summer, I wouldn't think, I would think they're all going to you know, kick some of that back to the school. Um, and, you know, but uh, I think only three have done that so far in the Pac-12. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, for example. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see with that. Uh, also, one of the things that's been going on on social media, we've seen these coordinated efforts from the USC coaching staff and support staff and everybody. Uh, Clay Helton tweeted out, uh, a short video of him talking about, you know, how proud he was of the American people that, that you know, that the social distancing has worked and they're getting, you know, the curve is starting to flatten, but it's no time to back down and keep doing it. And then, so he tweets that out and they're wearing a, a shirt, like a coordinated shirt. We fight on as one. Um, and they were using the hashtag. Um, we fight, you know, we fight as one. Um, it's the shirt is we fight as one. The hashtag is we fight as one. And then all the coaches start tweeting. I don't I think the other coaches did pictures. I mean, uh, videos. It's mostly been pictures. But you've seen the recruiting support staff people, like, uh, you know, grad assistants. Anyone that's in there, they're all kind of sending out this coordinated uh, message. And it started with, you know, Clay Hilton's tweet uh, and the, or a little earlier today. Keely, have you, we haven't seen something like this before, right? I mean, it, it seems like they're really trying to show the, you know, hey, we're a unified program and we're doing this for the benefit of you know not it, this is more about today was more about you know fighting the the virus but other days have been like you know they're competing as a team and so i don't know what have you thought about this this uh campaign yeah they've definitely have stepped up their united branding it seems like everyone's on the same page and now that's like you said that's not something we've seen from usc and to have a united brand in that sense gives the the impression of organization and people being together on the same page. And so that's not something we've always seen from USC, especially on the coaching staff being united in the same same message. Um, So I think that's obviously a good thing to have them have this brand of organization togetherness, because 
as a recruit, they're always online. They want to see these things. They want to see the head coach tweeting out a gif, uh, a mysterious gif when someone commits. It's This is the, I think Chris Trevino put it best. It's, we're no longer in the era of handwritten letters. It's all about social media and branding. And they're they're stepping up their game so far. And, I mean, this is a time where they could totally do that. What else, do they, what else can they really do? So at least while there's a lull, they're showing that they're still united and they're still on the same page in this sense. You know, I think one of the things that the thing that might have gotten them moving in that direction was um, when they chose very wisely to introduce all the new coaches that one day. It got a great turnout. And as it turned out, they all kind of and, and they will tell you, hey, you know, we didn't discuss this beforehand. We just all went out there and they all had kind of the same message. And they all had a message that kind of fit together. And then they saw all the positive reaction to it, like, oh, this is exactly what USC needs. Wow, they're, they're talking the language, you know, they're, they're talking the language of uh, uh, instant analysis every day. Uh, and uh, I think they all kind of got together afterwards, saw how everybody was reacting to it, and said, whoa. We really do have a state. I mean, some of those guys had only been there two weeks and they, you know, said, wow, this is a staff that really thinks alike and we're going to do the same kind of things. And by doing it and saying it, everybody really seemed to think that was that was very good. They got nothing but positive response. And that was something we hadn't seen USC do, you know, to bring one guy after another guy after another guy in and just let people ask them anything they wanted and, and just let it go. And that works so well. I think USC, I think, has really picked up on that. Hey, we can do stuff like this and it'll work for us. And we don't have to be worried or afraid of what they're going to say or what people are going to, how they're going to react. We just trust, trust ourselves and trust, you know, what we're doing in the program. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of been a, 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 a spur to doing more things like that and just saying, Hey, we got a, you know, really good staff and let's get them out there as much as possible. And let's get them talking and, and get them on social media. And, um, I think, you know, I mean, we all talked that day about, wow, this is working really well. And this is so unlike USC in recent years. And I think USC recognized that too. Obviously we got a, you know, give some credit to that's the kind of thing that the new AD Mike Bone really likes to do himself. I mean, that's that's his, uh, you know, that's his strong suit. And I think Brandon, uh, you know, Sosna understands how that all works. I mean, at, at, at the University of Cincinnati, the PR, uh, whole PR operation was under him. So you have people that are looking at it totally, uh, you know, differently. But, uh, yeah, it's a different look, and a, it's a, uh, a very welcome look, I think, for USC. Um, and in hindsight oh, – sorry, Ryan. No, but in hindsight, how – how important was it for them to do that introductory press conference when now you have nothing else to go on? They were, they were expecting spring to kind of set the tone, but now that you don't have spring camp, the taste in the USC fans mouth is that introductory press conference. And it's a good taste just because they nailed that press conference. But imagine if they didn't do that and you just have one practice, I think fans would be a little bit more angry than they are now just because they wouldn't have anything to go off of. 
That's a really good point. I think the idea that, you know, don't keep saying no. Don't keep saying, oh, what could go wrong? Say, how are we going to make this work for us? And let's get out there. And uh, I mean, really, as, as new as those guys were to the program and to one another, uh, they will really tell you, hey, we didn't talk about it at all, what we were going to do or say. We just went out there and told you what we were thinking. And then they, you know, look back and say, whoa, we're all completely on the same page because they didn't, you know, other than, you know, um, uh, Orlando and Navar, they didn't know one another. And um, it sounded like they'd almost coordinated uh, what they were going to say, but uh, but they hadn't. And so I think it actually did the coaches a lot of good. They looked at that and said, man, you know, I think we got something going here. And they might not have known that had they not done it the way they did it in public and then gotten the feedback uh, that they got. So, yeah, that was being proactive and getting out there, which hasn't been what USC's done for years, uh, is a really good thing. And you're right. They wouldn't have had anything else to carry them uh, through spring. And uh, now you've, you know, people have all met the coaches and, and, and have a real sense of who are these guys. Yeah, especially with they had to delay the first spring practice a day, and that was all like, you know, uh, podium style or whatever, you know, press conference style interviews. You would have been able to talk to all these coaches like that. Um, and, yep. and Dan, you got to talk to, you've been talking to them a lot recently, just kind of one on one with some of the different assistant coaches. The latest one, if you want to check it out on USCfootball.com, is uh, Todd Orlando, an interesting story of his kind of upbringing, Western Pennsylvania, you know, outside of Pittsburgh guy where I, I grew up in that same area too, so uh, that that was an interesting read at the beginning. But uh, what are some of the highlights that you liked from the interview that you can maybe share with the listeners? I liked it because you know my high school coach was from uh, uh, Denora, Pennsylvania. The first high school coach that I, I coached with uh, uh, under was a, a Western Pennsylvania guy, and so that's kind of been a lot of my you know my own you know personal focus. And, you know, I worked for the Bengals and, you know, the big rivalry that they had in those early years with the Steelers. And you got to know, you got to know the week that the Steelers were coming to town was going to be really different from any other week. And so you, you kind of, you know, built a, a connection to Western Pennsylvania. And you could see with Todd talking about, you know, the culture there. He said, that's the culture. You know, you're a seven year old kid and your dad's teaching you how to get into a football stance. Or, uh, he went to Pittsburgh central Catholic high school and he comes back after, you know, have a, a good career at Wisconsin inside linebacker for three years, uh, uh, helped them win the big 10 championship and, and then go to the Rose bowl where they beat UCLA. But he comes back to Pittsburgh and, you know, in that summer, and they're starting uh, uh, summer practice, and the, uh, his school, you know, encouraged guys to come back and college coaches or college players. And he said he was just sort of watching, and he he realized he, he said, "I just grabbed the kid and said, hey, here's if you do it this way, you can do it better. This is a you know there are ways you can do that." And he said one of the coaches came up to him and thanked him for doing that. And he said, it just kind of hit him. That's what I want to do. And so I guess, uh, Pittsburgh central Catholic, he started with them for a year, another high school, uh, the next year. And then, uh, you know, moved into the college ranks in the Ivy league and Penn, 
but just kind of, you know, a guy that loved football. Football was, you know, in his kind of in his blood and um, and just moved like, you know, so many do uh, and, and and went from one place to the next uh, and, and moved around. He got, uh, came to Utah State and he was a defensive coordinator of that Utah State team that USC beat. Uh, 1714 in 2013 they were you know they were good and um, you know then he moves you know with uh, with Tom Herman uh, goes to goes to Houston and then to Texas and uh, yeah, just you know a guy who pretty much everywhere he's gone um, he's had nationally ranked defenses and they've been very aggressive and run into the ball and uh, it was interesting. Uh, the year he had at Texas was a lot like USC in terms of uh, injuries and that. But uh, once they got healthy, uh, I mean, they just crushed. By the end of the year, they crushed uh, Utah in the um, in the bowl game, the Alamo Bowl this year. And uh, it looked like Todd was kind of they had to do something at Texas and act like they were doing something. So they they let the defensive guys go. And so, you know, uh, that may be USC's, uh, you know, big break that they get, they get Todd being available uh, and, uh, and Craig Nivar. And chances are you might not have had the ability to get, you know, guys like that uh, had that, had that not happened. And uh, he's, uh, he said it, he, he, it hit him when he got here and he'd coached uh, a couple of times with Texas against USC, but he talks about, you know, what a huge responsibility it is if you come to USC uh, because of the tradition, because of the kind of the program that, that USC's had, that if you come in here, you have to be willing to say, what do we have to do to get USC to where USC should be? And uh, it just, uh, he, I just kind of liked his passion for football. He just loved, loves football. But if you talk to him right now, he said, it's not about football as much as they're on, you know, team meetings and, and linebacker group meetings and that on Zoom. He said, it's more about, you know, keeping the guys safe, getting their academics right and, and doing all those kinds. Of, and I will say this, from talking to the, uh, the assistants on the phone, it's not easy to get them on the phone because they're always talking to players, talking to their, you know, ap- academic support people talking to other the other coaches or whatever i mean these guys are busy uh it's uh it's pretty amazing how uh how i mean you you almost can't get through to any of them uh right away because they're all on the phone with somebody doing something so um i've been pretty impressed with uh with what you're finding out about how this uh how this staff is working at it and and uh you know, that's, uh, they're just, they wish they had the chance to have spring as a new group getting together and they're trying to make up for it as much as they can. But, you know, they, they know they've got to, you know, get through the, you know, the quarantine and the, you know, COVID-19, you know, crisis before they can do any of that. But, uh, but they're working hard at it. I, I mean, I don't know that we always had a sense that, that there was that kind of work going on behind the scenes uh, with the USC staff. And um, you can't help but 
you know, feel the energy that these guys, uh, uh, you know, are putting out there. And I, I was really, really impressed with, with everything that we've uh, learned about them, even though it's like everything else that's on the phone. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, check out the article. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, it talks about looking forward to Alabama playing the team, you know, the best team in the last decade and what, you know, you can prove yourself against the best and all that. But there's some good stuff in the article. Make sure you check that out. Um, and the other articles, too, that Dan put up all the you know, in-depth interviews with each of the assistant coaches. Kaylee. And we got uh, Dante Williams coming up, and he, I, I learned a lot about Dante Williams. He's uh, he's a really interesting guy, and his uh, what it took to get him from uh, in a Culver City high school. He grew up in Baldwin Hills and uh, in Lamert uh, Park, and what it took him to get uh, <laughs> from where he was to USC. Uh, it's a, a really interesting story about how uh, it's less than four miles from his house where he grew up to USC's campus. And I, I give you a little bit of a preview. It took him 17 years and uh, 20,000 miles uh, in terms of his, uh, his, his, what it, how far he had to travel to get to USC. And he's uh, real honest about how, you know, how it wasn't an easy trip in a lot of ways. But, uh, but he's really happy to be here now. And what a competitive guy. Oh, my goodness. He is. Uh, he reminds you a little bit of, uh, of the P. Carroll Ed Orgeron uh, uh, recruiting uh, the way their competitive natures uh, allowed them you know, came out in the way they recruited. And he's got a competitive nature about him uh, that I think, you know, but it also comes out in the way his, uh, way he coaches cornerbacks uh, and the numbers of his cornerbacks wherever he's been are, are just amazing. And uh, so uh, what a, <laughs> what a break, uh, I think, for USC uh, you know, to, to get a Dante Williams. So he's up, uh, he's up next and, uh, really interesting, uh, uh, guy. All right. Well, we'll check that out. Uh, make sure you check out the site when it comes up, maybe we'll start. Um, I know the questions are a little weird this week, but we have a Curtis, <laughs> we have a Curtis from Marino Valley voicemail. We'll start with that Keely, and then we'll get to the other questions. So let me play this Sounds for you. Good. All right, here we go. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. I'm reading a, alabamahammer.com article today that says Alabama football Southern Cal air raid and an inexperienced tide Alabama tide secondary inexperienced huh if you were experienced Bama you still gonna have to drop eight I don't care how good your man coverage is it's too many receivers in the, the pattern and a back in the pattern too you got to drop eight, Bama. Let's talk about it. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, you know, and that may be true, uh, but I think the thing that has to happen, if Alabama drops eight, you cannot let those that front three keep you from running the ball. You have to be able to run the ball till they can't drop eight anymore. And that's the key. Last year, obviously, when uh, uh, Brigham Young drops eight, 
it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We can't block those three mean old guys up front, those old, you know, old uh, BYU guys. And, and what are we going to do? We, how can you throw in the drop? It was like, come on. Uh, got to have a whole different attitude to playing, uh, you know, Alabama. And whether Alabama thinks those three, you know, if they do drop eight, that they got three guys that can beat your five, uh, that better not be the case. USC has to be able to, uh, you know, deal deal with that. The other, you know, the other part that you yeah, see when you've got, um, say, guys with the, you know, the particular, you know, skill set that the two, you know, real veterans and Tyler Vaughn's and, and Amon Ra have, or you've got the physical athletes like a Drake London and a, uh, say, a Brew McCoy, or you got the Gary Bryant, you know, uh, who looks like, he wouldn't be out of place with the kind of sensational athleticism that some of those Alabama guys who aren't there anymore this year, but were there last year. Uh, you ought to be able to still, you know, throw the ball uh, no matter what, what Alabama does. You just can't, you got to keep, uh, uh, you know, Keaton and or JT upright. That's all I think at this point, but, uh, but yeah, I like the matchup in, in, in a lot of ways. I think it's going to be tough you know, for uh, Alabama playing them in the, if you're going to play those teams, you want to play them in the first game, and uh, and 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 you probably want to throw the ball, uh, but you got to be really good at it. Uh, you know, LSU was really good at it, and um, uh, that's a tough out, I think, for Alabama to play a team that is really really good uh, throwing the ball if they can stalemate. Uh, you know, Alabama up front and take advantage of Alabama's going to play the pass. You have to be able to run the ball on them. And obviously um, in the 52 six game, USC couldn't block anybody that was, you know, I mean, there were, there were plays and we still talk about this. There were plays where Alabama's nose guard would line up like an inch from the USC center and the USC center wouldn't make contact once the ball was snapped. It was like, how is that even possible? Uh, that has to go a whole lot differently for the USC O-line. Uh, and, that, you know, that would be a big uh, determinant as to, as far as I'm concerned, as much as good has happened on defense, as much as, you know, good you can see a quarterback and wide receiver and all of that, and many running backs are coming back. It's the O-line that is going to determine not just that game, uh, but the whole year for USC. So if, if they get the kind of... Uh, O-line play that they need to get. And that may be the best thing about playing Alabama at the beginning, you know, at that opener is, uh, you know, you have to be able to, uh, compete, uh, with your O-line. You have to, you have no choice and we'll see if USC, uh, can get those guys there. Uh, that'll be the big, uh, I think the big challenge of the whole year. Uh, Keely, what do you think? I mean, I'm, Curtis, I don't know, man, like, USC puts three receivers in the pattern. I don't. I don't think Alabama has to drop eight, or they're doomed. Like there's athletes all over the place. Uh, Alabama's been. They've given a bunch of points to some some you know high powered offenses, but I, I don't think it's a situation where they they would have to. They would be forced to do something like that. I don't. I don't think that's Nick Saban's DNA. Yeah, exactly. And I think Dan nailed it perfectly. Even if they do somehow drop eight, it's not like USC has proven before. <laughs> that they can handle that. <laughs> I mean, like Dan said, USC's offensive line is the biggest question mark. And this spring camp that they hope to have uh, would have 
at least settled some questions, at least got some chemistry underneath their belt, but that's not the case. So now you still have those question marks. You have lack of experience on that line, and that's going to be a tough challenge. And it, it usually is for USC, but facing Alabama, you need to make sure that O-line is tough and can do something and can allow you to run the ball. And and I just, I'm not very optimistic given the time that that O-line is missing. Now, granted, we can go into the whole, will they even play Alabama? We don't know. But I, yeah, I don't think that that's the, the key to everything. But Curtis definitely brought the spice. He sounded a little angry in this voicemail today. <laughs> He's like, Alabama has I do no think- chance. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, I don't know. I, I would say Nick Saban probably not feeling as good. I mean, I don't think he felt good about the last time because he didn't know who his quarterback would be, and he ended up having to change in, you know, midstream, uh, uh, you know, come up with a quarterback, and uh, he sort of made the right call. But uh, but USC actually has five guys. I guess if you count Liam, they've got six guys who've started. So and and five who you know started a fairly decent amount, and you know, I think it's going to look different if they practice the way I think they're going to have to practice. I think one of the things we saw in the one practice that we saw, they weren't in pads, they just helmets, shorts, but uh, how hard Brew McCoy had to work to catch the football because Chris Steele was absolutely all over him. And you had to catch, and most of the catches, you had to make them through contact. Daniel Amater Baby did it. Uh, And I I was thinking how much better that's going to make the people on offense if, uh, you know, just just what we saw, you're not going to see the lines, were, you know, go against each other. But if they go against each other the way they did in the pass game, uh, you know, in terms of the run game or the, or the, you know, the pass blocking, pass rush stuff, I think just the practice itself with practice with real contact and real game uh, you know, pressure and game speed changes, especially for the offensive line. I think that's where, and so I think the defense can really affect how the offense offensive line comes along if you have to be ready to play because the defense is coming at you like it's a game. I mean, like it was, you know, we often reference Pete, but uh, they thought they played harder and had to practice harder than they had to play in games. And that stood them, you know, really good, you know, in good stead. And that has to happen uh, with this practice, the way they practice this year. That, you know, if the defense is really coming after you on every play, I think you're going to get better. You have to get better. And I just think that the lack of, of contact during the week and the lack of playing under, you know, game pressure – made it so hard for the offensive line to perform. Uh, and I, I think that will change. I mean, it, it has to. Uh, I think just just from the defense itself changing the way it's going to approach practice gives the offense no, ch- no choice but to meet uh, what the defense is doing. That's my, that's my positive take on it anyway. Yeah. All right, Curtis. You're pretty I – th- I think – if you want to have the attitude of like, hey, USC is going to be better on offense, defense, and special teams, and they're going to be able to put up points. We've seen Alabama, and if they have an inexperienced secondary, there can be some, uh, you know, they're not an undefe- you know, undefeatable opponent. They, there's going to be some optimism there. But I wouldn't flip it the other way around, like, oh, Alabama has no chance. <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't make 
that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But Curtis, hey, he's our internal optimist. So let, let's go mm-hmm. with, you know. I thought, uh, one thing you got to think about Alabama, they were showing uh, some clips from uh, Tua Tagovailoa's uh, uh, workout. And um, the big, there's on the indoor workout facility at Alabama, there's this one big word. And it starts with an A, very similar to that script A that you see on everything with Alabama. But the one word that Nick Saban has on the side of the, you know, the workout facility is accountability. And that's the thing with Alabama. You are accountable. You're really accountable. And Nick Saban makes every person in that program accountable. And that was the thing that obviously for years has been kind of missing with USC is the accountability. It was like, well, you know, I don't know what happened or what. No, you got to, you got to realize you're playing a team where everybody is accountable for everything. Now, there are some differences. Something uh, somebody pointed out, obviously we know that the number one guy for the, who's been with Nick Saban the longest left Alabama to go uh, he was the strength coach and he left to go to Georgia to be an on the field coach. And you just didn't ever see that kind of thing happening where a guy who's really, you know, integral uh, part of that Alabama program just ups and leaves. And then somebody pointed out on the, on the P that Alabama's recruiting isn't going all that well now. And so, you know, things are, appear to be changing maybe somewhat at Alabama. We'll see. I, I don't know. I mean, you get to the point, I mean, if Bobby Bowden did at Florida State and Joe Paterno at Penn State, where a coach gets to that point where maybe he starts to see the end of the, uh, you know, the end of the road in terms of his coaching career. Is Nick Saban doesn't sound like that's even remotely the case, but you do wonder what's going on I mean, and, and how much does that make the, the first game really important for, for Saban, you know, for them to make a statement and, you know, how much of a challenge is that for USC? But it's, it's going to be interesting to see some things that Alabama aren't maybe the same as they've always been. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Shall we jump into our email question? Yeah, let's Boston? do that, Keely. So you said they were weird. It's just unconventional. People are being creative at this time, Ryan. Uh, We have an email from Jim Randolph who says, uh, for Dan Weber, the big issues. I really admire your ability to address big subjects. On the podcast, you said you were spending your time at home bored. Here's an idea for content for you to address. The five big issues. So there are five kind of convoluted issues. I'm going to pick one. Maybe we'll return to the well each week and so you can address them, Dan. Um, But I'm going to pick a random one. One that he said was, uh, can SC succeed as an independent like Notre Dame? Uh, Jim says, I hope so. We are sharing revenue equally with Oregon State and Washington. Money drives the bus. So, Dan, this is the one big issue today that you can try and address. Yeah, I mean, I think USC has, has the ability just because of uh, history, location. Uh, you know, it's not a state school. It doesn't, it shouldn't have all the kinds of bureaucracy and in making uh, decisions, it's got the ability, uh, you know, located in Los Angeles. If you got USC to the point where it was, <coughs> excuse me, uh, with Pete here, 
I think that team could have gone independent uh, if that program would have kept on, uh, you know, where it was. Uh, I don't think it would be out of the question uh, for uh, an NBC to say, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing uh, to have a second program that would go, you know, with Notre Dame where you could have some days you could have double headers with Notre Dame playing earlier and USC playing later or, um, uh, you know, on weekends where Notre Dame's on the road, for example, NBC doesn't have a, have a game. Uh, so that would give you more opportunity to have, have games every weekend. So, so I've never thought that that was a crazy idea. And I know people want to shoot it down by saying, well, what would you do with all your other sports? I think USC could make the same kind of deal with the Pac-12 that Notre Dame has with the ACC, where they commit to playing a half a schedule in the conference and they play all their other sports in the conference. I think I, I would find it almost impossible for the uh, Pac-12 to turn down that kind of offer from USC. If USC said, we'll stay in the conference, you can play you know, in LA, all your other sports and do all your recruiting that you normally do in LA and we'll commit to half a schedule every year. So you play five games every year, let's say in the PAC 12, uh, you know, that's not that far from, you know, uh, whether the PAC 12 ever goes to an eight game schedule like they should. Um, but, uh, that's still a significant amount of, of, of time for teams to be in L.A. or for them to bring USC. I mean, it's a big deal on the ACC when Notre Dame comes to town, you know, at like Wake Forest or, you know, Florida State, one, one end or the other, or Clemson. That's a really big deal. I think it could be the, you know, the same kind of thing at, at, uh, for USC. Uh, working out some kind of a deal with the Pac-12, and so, so yeah, I think they could. I think USC, if they do everything else right, uh, I think they would be one of the very few programs that you could talk about legitimately making that work, just because of where they are and 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 all the tradition and the fact that you got a lot of network, you know, connections already built in, uh, you know, to Los Angeles. And if USC's good, you know, everybody everybody in the country kind of watches. If USC's really, really good, uh, everybody in the country, it's like Notre Dame, kind of, they have uh, the ability to get eyeballs from all over the country. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it's not crazy. And, and you would hope that there, you know, some groundwork is being done because, you know, staying in the Pac-12, the way things look, uh, under the same kind of direction and all that uh, just doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, very favorable scenario. And if you, you know, how you would work out all the things like basketball te television and revenues and all that, and would USC be able to keep their all their third tier revenues? I'd, I'd be under, I mean, I think that's why they, uh, <clears throat> they have to figure out, you know, what the future is, but they, I think USC has to figure out all the possible scenarios of how this could play out because just being in a, you know, the fifth out of the power five schools in terms of uh, TV, com you know, I mean, the PAC 12 doesn't do almost anything to help USC. The nine game schedule is really a disaster. 
because, you know, every other year you're playing five Pac-12 road games. Um, and, you know, you don't have the ability maybe uh, to do some of those, uh, the kind of games that intersectional games and all that that maybe USC would would like to be able to do. Uh, a Pac-12, it just hasn't been, uh, the Pac-12 network is a disaster. It's like if you go on the network, nobody's going to see your game. Uh, of any kind, wh- whatever sport it is. Uh, so uh, that whole theory about, you know, how this was all going to work out hasn't really worked out almost for anybody in the Pac-12, but absolutely not for USC. I was just thinking Christian McCaffrey just signed the biggest contract for running back in the history of the NFL, $16 million a year. And he so far and away was the best player in the country. And he doesn't get the Heisman Trophy because he's playing in the Pac-12 and nobody saw his games. And it was like, well, how do we vote for him? We don't ever get to see him play. I mean, those of us who got to see him play knew for sure he was the best player in the country. I mean, that the fact that he didn't win the Heisman, uh, I mean, it just says everything you want to say about what's wrong about being in the Pac-12. So, so that's my take. That would be my number one scenario if USC could pull it off. Uh, there are a lot of others in terms of maybe the Big 12 or, or, or changing the nature of the Pac-12 or whatever. But uh, if I had my druthers, that would be the first thing that I would do would be to explore that whole NBC uh, possibility. Hey, Jim, yeah, thanks for the question. And I feel like you know, what Dan said is correct. Uh, I think USC has uh, an administration in place now that will at least explore those options, which is going to be beneficial no matter what. USC needs to right the ship, you know, no, no doubt. You can't be coming off the kind of couple of seasons that USC had, but if they can get back to winning the Pac-12 again for a year or two, I think that's a real possibility. I, mean, I like the idea of looking to join another conference as well. Um, but either way, just the threat of it, maybe it gets you your tier three rights back or whatever it is. It, it's something that's going to help you as a program, as a USC program, uh, make the money that you you should be making and not the same money as a, an Oregon State is making in the Pac-12. So I think all that will help. And uh, as far as, I don't know if he was saying that you're bored, Dan, or I'm bored, we're all talking about this. We all have plenty of work to do. I mean, we're lucky because we do have work we can do because a lot of industries, they can't work. And so you want to complain about being busy. It's, uh, but it's, I think it's boring just because you don't get to do a lot of the stuff that you would like to be doing. We can't go out and cover practices and things like that. So it's, there's work to be done. It's just hard to be motivated. Like we don't need more, like probably more ideas. We keep coming up with things and do different stuff, but it's hard to stay motivated because we're just doing the same kind of things over and over, I guess. Yeah, I miss practice. I mean, I really, you just want to see things. For example, going to that first practice, you got to see Gary Bryant. You need to be able to see him. It's just until you actually see him do what he does, for example, you know, you can watch the video and all that, but you're never sure who they're playing against and and all of that. Uh, I like to see how aggressive the, uh, you know, the defense was playing them and how, you know, how much contact there was. Uh, not in pads, and that made that's a that's kind of a good feeling. But you kind of got to be there. You got to see it. You got to feel it. You just got to get a a sense of it. And uh, and without you know being at at practice, and that was one of the the joys of of always covering USC, uh, getting here when Pete got here, and getting here you know 
to be able to go to practice and, and to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, that's a, a rare, uh, you know, thing in, in college football these days. But, uh, but I really, that's what you miss. You, you just miss that. There's just something that you, you pick up by being there um, that you can't get it almost any other way. Yeah, the off season already feels long, but then spring camp is kind of the reprieve. So not having it is just like, ugh, it's 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 sad. But yeah, I, I, I was talking to uh, one of the national writers from twenty four seven Sports yesterday, real quick, and he was asking me some questions about a story he was doing. So they're coming up with unique stories and they're calling the different publishers and asking them questions. And you're like, you know, we can keep doing this. Like we can we can do our watch parties, we can do whatever. But like, you know, you can do it for a few months. But then when they're, if like football doesn't happen for, you know, if it, if we don't get football, that's going to be really hard to do that for a year without really having anything to physically see and talk about and discuss. That's definitely going to make things uh, a lot more challenging. It's challenging now, but man, that's going to be, that would be tough. It'd really be tough on the players too. I mean, just the thought of, you know, when people kind of blithely, you know, throw out there, oh, I don't know that we're going to play. How how do you tell guys this is their their life? I mean, this is what they've been building up for their whole life, uh, and you know this will be their for a lot of them their future uh, you know profession. And just to say, eh, take a year off. I mean, what if you did that for a you know professional golfer or a tennis player or whatever? <laughs> I mean, I just think they have to figure out a way uh, to get something done this year. You just have to. I mean, you just have to figure out. How do we make this work? Uh, and I, I do think enough things are happening, you know, in, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the drugs and the testing and and all of the things that we're learning that, you know, that they're going to do that. I, I would be always, again, much more on the optimistic side, you know, than the pessimistic side. But, man, you know, we, we, we can talk about how kind of difficult it would be for us. How difficult if you're a player and this is let's say you're a Brew McCoy. And you had last year that, you know, was a difficult thing. And you would get hit with another year on top of that. I mean, that would be that would be really tough. I think, you know, we we owe it. I think college football and the colleges owe it uh, to these players to do whatever it takes. You know, you can't be crazy and you can't be, um, you know, uh, risking anybody's health at any time. But, uh, you know. You just, I think you owe it to these guys to to give them a chance to to get back out there. However, that has to happen uh, with safety and and doing it smartly uh, the next school year. It's just something they got to figure out how to get this done. Something we threw out on the podcast last week was potentially starting the season in February. And Chris Fowler actually came out this week saying that he's been talking to uh, the college. Uh, decision makers, college football decision makers, and that seems like something that's been talked about and gaining more momentum. Do you really think that a February season uh, would be possible? <laughs> I hate to impugn Chris's uh, uh, motives, but you know, also being thrown out there is that the possibility of Chris uh, and um, and uh, Kirk Herbstreit going to Monday Night Football, which has been kind of a disaster area for ESPN. And I wonder if Chris is thinking, you know, if the NFL plays in the fall, I could do Monday night football. Then if the colleges play in the spring, I could, 
Kirk and I could bounce out and do colleges. And I don't know. I, I don't want to be uh, too cynical about the motivations, but I do think they're going to have to play it. You can't survive college sports as we know it uh, without playing college football next year, somehow, some way, somewhere. And if they have to do it in February to, you know, uh, May, uh, they'll do it. I mean, whatever they have to do, they, they, I just can't even imagine that they would figure we can get through this. I mean, there won't be any reason to have an athletic department uh, and you couldn't pay for it. Even if, you know, if you, you know, you kept it around. So I, they would have to, as a last result resort, I think they have to do that. But I just think, you know, I think that December gives them enough of a cushion that you can start in October and play the regular schedule all the way through with the championship games. And then you just don't have a month off before the bowl game. Uh, I think, and, and they'd still finish up before the NFL. Now that, that that's unless something that we don't know about is going to come along. I think they've got a chance to do that. Uh, even, you know, I know there are people who say until we get a vaccine, which was 12 to 18 months uh, from when they started a few months ago, uh, that we can't go back. But I, I don't know that. I think if they've got enough uh, uh, ability to treat and uh, uh, to test everybody and then to treat people immediately uh, with uh, some sort of combination of drugs that won't allow the disease to get to that, you know, really, uh, you know, serious, you know, where the lungs shut down and, and, and so many of the other uh, systems shut down with the, uh, you get, where you get that, you know, overstimulated, uh, you know, immune reaction. If you can get to that point where dealing with it is more like dealing with the regular flu that, you know, still maybe kill more people this year than the COVID, uh, I think then they could, they can, probably go back and we'll see how that how how that develops i think in the next two months but i think there's enough time to not be saying oh i don't think it's gonna we're gonna play next year i just think that's uh, that's premature well we have one final email and it's from our buddy dan class of 1962 uh he gave us trivia last week and he apologized for not including the answer last <laughs> week but he has the answer this week he says hi keely ryan and dan sorry about not providing the trivia answer regarding Morley Drury and Mike Garrett, but Ryan figured it out. Drury was the first and only 1,000-yard rusher until Mike Garrett ran for over 1,000 yards in his Heisman year of 1965. USC had some great teams between 1927 and 1965, but they won more with defense than with a prolific offense. The Howard Jones teams from 1926 to 1940 were known as the Thundering Herd, but that was more about their toughness than running uh, over opponents. It was John McKay that made USC tailback U with all the 1,000-yard rushers. However, McKay's teams had efficient QBs, not uh, prolific passers. Who was the quarterback when USC was with O.J. Simpson and won the national championship in 1967? His greatest play was actually audibling the 67-yard run by O.J. that beat USC for, or that beat UCLA for the national championship 21-20. Bite on and win. Dan, class of nineteen sixty-two. I know the answer because I read the question, so I will not be participating in. Oh no, you go ahead because I wrote a whole <laughs> chapter on that in my Miracle Moments book, and I wrote all about how 
you know, the audible came and, you know, what, what the uh, offensive linemen were hearing, uh, you know, when the, when it was called and how OJ's reaction was, holy crap, I'm so tired. They can't call that audible for me. I, I'm, I'm lucky I'm still on the field. I mean, it was like, you know, I wrote about the whole play and if for the life of me, you had, you wanted to say, what's that guy's name? Ah, I can't come up with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it either. So who who do we got, Keely? It's Toby Page. Oh man. Because I have him quoted in the book even. That, nice. uh, <laughs> but that's not that, you know, there are so many different names, but uh, that's not one of those names that just jumps out at you. Uh but yeah, he he did audible and I think OJ I think he had almost tried to go out. He was so tired. He had carried the ball so many times. It was such a tough game. And uh, he really, I, I think in the huddle, he might have even talked back. Like, what? You, 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 uh, you know, I, and I'm trying to think how they audibled from what play to what play. But, uh, but I know OJ wasn't thrilled when his number was, was called on that play. And then it still might be the you know, the greatest single play in, in USC football history. But uh, <laughs> good question, Dan. Yeah. That's a, that is a true trivia, uh, trivial question. It's just not a name that jumps out at you at all. No, it's not a name that, like, on the, a lot of USC fans, unless they were, you know, really diehard back then, probably had on the tip of their tongue. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That wraps it up, guys. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, Keely, Dan, thanks for coming on. And everyone, thanks for tuning in during these crazy, unprecedented times. We want to keep the show rolling, keep things going. So send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com, topics you want us to talk about, anything. Uh, we're, we're here to do it. We're here to try to brighten your day. If, you don't, if you're tired of watching Tiger King or whatever, <laughs> you want to listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. we're here for you for that. Um, did you guys watch? I know the uh, 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 the Rainer Troy people were doing uh, a Tiger King uh, recap show. Have you guys seen that yet on Netflix? No, I still haven't watched it. Yeah. I don't know if I ever will. I don't know if I want to. I have somebody in my immediate uh, family who has watched it, but I'm not watching it. I, I just oh. I'll let her I'll let her describe it for me. But uh, it was. I I liked it a lot. I mean, but it was like, yeah, it was okay. de- depressing how everyone, all the main characters are basically terrible people. There's no one good. Yeah. Like there's there's some offshoot people that are good, but the anyone that's the main character and there and there's people that you think like, oh, they've introduced this person now, he or she will be the savior. They'll be the the the, the shining light that everyone no, they're all awful. Like they're just anyone that you think is going to be good, they end up being terrible. So um I I guess if you're in that big cat industry you're just not a good person for the most part so it was uh it was pretty yeah. crazy yeah but i guess foxes has a thing they they put a an eighth episode uh, i watched it last night with joel McHale. he was interviewing all the the players from the from the uh documentary uh outside of the main one because he's in jail but <laughs> besides that um spoiler alert but yeah so uh that was kind of interesting i think fox is having like a follow-up too uh because there's like a murder mystery coming out of this. There's a lot of good stuff. I mean, it just, it landed at the perfect time during this quarantine and just people like just, it was like the most, it's the most, I guess it's the number one documentary in the world, like in history. So crazy. Wow. 
Yeah. Good timing, I, it's but. a good thing the the filmmaker shot a, a bunch of the film and I guess they didn't know what to do with it, right? It was like, what are we going to do with this now? And, and and people were turning them down and they had no idea and then they decided to go with it like this. By the way, what's the uh, trivia question about Joe McHale, Ryan? What's uh, what's his uh, his uh, connection to, say, our podcast? Joe McHale? Right. Um. I don't know. I'm not sure. What's... He was a tight end at Washington. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Played tight end at Washington. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> they were talking about the celebrity status because all these, you know, these guys are like kind of backwoods people that were working at this little zoo, and now they're world famous. One guy had moved to Norway, and they put his picture on the front page of the paper like they can't go anywhere. Like they're, it's like insane, <laughs> and and they're like. And like I, one of the people were like, I don't want to be, a, I'm not a celebrity like you. And he's like, well, I'm really nice. He's like, I was pretty big in 2009. It was kind of funny how he's like self-deprecating or whatever, but. He is a um, funny guy. Yeah. He's, he's, he doesn't seem to have that football player mentality. And maybe, you know, I don't know, but he just, uh, he doesn't seem like a football type, but yeah, he was a tight end at Washington. Yeah. Well, if you don't want to watch the Tiger King or whatever else is on Netflix or. Hulu or whatever, we want to give you a little something here and listen to the podcast. We'll try to do some different shows. We did a uh, watch party this past weekend, which was fun, the 1978 uh, USC-Notre Dame game. We're going to try to do the 2005 Orange Bowl. We'll get Dan Weber on this one. He actually covered that game. Um, so that should be a fun one. So that check back. We'll, Saturday, probably afternoon, we'll do something with that. Uh, we didn't. We skipped. It was Easter Sunday. Hopefully everyone had a great Easter. We skipped... Uh, tunnel vision but we'll do that again this weekend so we'll want to keep bringing you shows bringing you content stuff that you can kind of keep your mind off the daily you know coronavirus crap that's going on all the time so hopefully this is helpful for you but then definitely send those questions let us know what you want us to talk about and we would be happy to do that so that's keely dan i'm ryan thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time you may have noticed that shopping at trader joe's is unlike shopping at other markets People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 